This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I am Christy Landwehr from Aurora, Colorado. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for March the 29th, episode 1393. This episode is brought to you by the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, horse world. Houston, we have a problem. Ability equals skill plus knowledge. Bad feeling about this. Here's a safety tip for you from the Certified Horsemanship Association. Missed it by that much. How can I change this to make it better the next time? Help you, I can. Yeah. Time for Training Tuesday on Horses in the Morning with the Certified Horsemanship Association. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this Tuesday morning, the fifth Tuesday of the month. Normally, Christy is here on the third Tuesday of every month, but she was traveling, had a very busy month. So we we had five weeks in this month, so we thought we'd just move it back to this Tuesday. Thank you for doing that, Christy. No problem. I think it's kind of fun when you have five of a certain day of a month. I know. We don't get that too often. No. But uh, it's good for us, and it's good for everybody that works for a paycheck for a living. Because there's an extra week in there. That's right. I always look forward to that. You got that twice a year. You got that extra week's pay twice a year. And And then you can do stuff with it. That's right. Uh That's correct. Plan on trips, whatever it is that you like to do. No, it just usually went to pay the bills, actually. Yeah, pretty (laughs) much. It pays for feed, doesn't it? Pays for horse pay. Pays for the horses. That's about it. That's about it. Because there's another week of them eating, too. That's right. That's the other thing. Good point. Like they, they for some reason on that extra week still want to eat. I don't get it. I know. Gosh, it's all right. It. Spring is in the air. We're going to have a little bit of supplementation of grass here soon. That's true. Well, actually, we do in Florida. We're we're already having to limit how much they're out, so we don't put them out first thing in the morning when the sugars are really high in the grass right now because it's really growing. So we have to keep them in the barn for till about noontime and then put them out. I love that. Here in Colorado, we're still a little bit, let's have 30 degrees on Saturday, and then let's have 60 degrees on Sunday, and then let's have some snow, and then let's have some rain. So we're not we're not quite there yet. You will be soon. Yes. You'll be just like us. You'll be, grass will be growing, and you go, hey, my horse is getting fat. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> Which is what I basically, I got home from uh, last week from Road to the Horse, and I looked at the horses and went, wow, in five days, those horses got fat. <laughs> It's amazing how quickly they can chunk out, too. Well, what's going on today on today's show? We are so excited today because we're going to be doing lengthening and shortening of strides. We've been getting asked that quite a bit on our social media um, at all three gates, um, how that works for arena work as well as trail work. And we have some wonderful guests today. Our spokesperson, Julie Goodnight, who a lot of you know from Horsemaster TV on RFD, she's coming on. And then so is Joanne Young, who runs Houghton College in Houghton, New York. So we're thrilled to have that coming up on the show soon. You mean shortening and lengthening of strides? intentionally 
That is a very good point, Glenn. Yeah, yes. Because I do it all the time. <laughs> I, you know, We can do it all the time, all day long. It's just that intentionally sometimes it's an issue. Yeah, no lengthening due to bolting and spooking. Yeah, and that, no I, we lengthen a lot. <laughs> <laughs> actually, the BBs, the baby bolts, are getting better. So uh, there are times actually now where his stride is getting too short, and I got to try and lengthen it. So yeah, but I'm going to be listening because this applies to driving horses as well as riding horses. Either way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I saw pictures on Facebook of you at the AQHA, at the Quarter Horse uh, Association. You went to Vegas. Was that for their annual meeting? It was. It was their big annual conference, and they did something um, a little bit different this year. How many people show up to that? They had just shy of 1,100 this year. 1,090 well, came to it. that's a lot of people. That <laughs> yeah, was a big But the big AQHA event. should have a lot of people. They have a lot of people. Right. They have a lot of members. Yep. Yes, they do. So it was it was good to be there. And then they did an educational day the first day that about 185 people came to. And that was um, put on by the Professional Horsemen's Council and Marielle helped out. And then us, Certified Horsemanship Association, we were there to speak and be a part of it. So that was a wonderful opportunity and we enjoyed it very much. Was this at the arena there at, at uh, South Point? We actually weren't in the arena. It was all hotel lecture-based talks. So, um, but there was a horse show going on in the arena while we were there that happened to be a quarter horse show. So people oh, really? could go down and watch that if they <laughs> wanted to. Absolutely, on their breaks when they weren't gambling. And I'll tell you, people were really good. They actually went to the meetings. I thought, really? I wonder if anyone's going to show up for these meetings. They're all going to be playing in Vegas. But no, they, they showed up. It was good. Usually the ones I've been to that involved other businesses other than horses, they would show up in the morning and then lunch and then maybe one session after lunch and then they're all gone. And then that, that was it. Uh -huh. If you had the four o'clock session, if you were the speaker at the four o'clock session, there were three people there. <laughs> yeah, you had nobody there. I know. My hardest thing was so many people, though, in the evening, Glenn, they wanted to go out to dinner and then they wanted to go see a show and they wanted to do all this you stuff. You were tired. I'm, thinking, I'm in Vegas. I got to do this. So then you go and then all of a sudden you're like, I got to get up for an 830 yep. in the morning meeting. What was I thinking? Yep, that's true. Oh, I'm still recouping. That happens to me every time I travel. And, it's, you know, like at Road to the Horse, we're, we're working all day, recording and doing our thing and everything. And at night, everybody wants to go out. And I'm like tired. Yes. <laughs> I make it till 9 o'clock. That's it. Oh, wiped out. Yeah. Especially if you have a time change. If you, you throw the time change in, all bets are off. Oh, my gosh. We did the spring ahead during a convention. Oh, we had one go. less hour of sleep. <laughs> I'm like, this is perfect. Did anybody Absolutely. show up at the first session? Oh my gosh, you know what? Yes, I was pretty yeah. surprised. Again, I, I was it's like, oh, these people, people are serious. They're tough. They're tough quarter horse people. They're, but they also gave us lots of free coffee. I think that helped. Or they're used to partying. I'm not sure, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure which it is. It could be. The barn aisles at horse shows are always going until well into the evening, right? Well, so let me you tell go. you, Road to the Horse, there were bars set up everywhere, and there was some amount of drinking going on there. Let me tell you what. As judged by the people walking to their cars in the parking lot after. So, oh, yes. boy. So I did see some quarter horse people there, too. Uh, yes. You know, we, you think that's just limited to, like, the carriage drivers. They like, they like to do it. And the fox hunters. But that's not true. That's oh, no. no. Everyone. They just might not have a flask like right. the fox hunters do. But <laughs> they are still doing it at some point or another. <laughs> well, now, you're headed off to Equine Affair, too, in Columbus, Ohio, which is a show that we used to do when we had our tax shop years ago. Yes, we are excited about that one. We have some great volunteers there that uh, man a booth for us every year. And this year, they're having a few of our board members speak. And I'm going to speak um, on Thursday. 
And so we're excited to go and do that. We really like the the folks at Equine Affair. That's we enjoy that show, show in That's Ohio. That's Ohio at the same place where they have uh, where they have Quarter Horse Congress. Uh, so yes. it's a big place, and it's full. I mean, there's a lot of people there. Uh, and if you want to see horse trailers, uh, they have a lot of horse trailers for sale there, too. That's oh, a, my gosh, they sure do. Yeah. And a building after building after building of anything horse-related as far as vending, you can get all of your shopping done at one fell swoop. Yeah, and that one's kind of a cross between English and Western. They have both there. Some of the shows, the expos, tend to lean heavily one way or the other. But this was, this was a little bit of everything. So I think it's a good blend. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. That's coming up at Equine Affair in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, one of our guests later on in the show, is she going to be there? Is Julie uh, Goodnight going to be that, that one? You know, I don't know if she is this year or not. We'll have to ask her because they, they rotate their speakers. This mm. might be her off year because I think she was. She was there last year. Yes. Okay. All right. And then you got the, what's the IEA Nationals? Yes. So that's the Interscholastic Equestrian Association Nationals. So for the middle schoolers and high schoolers, where they go and they draw a horse out at the draw table, and then they have to go either do a reining pattern on it or a um, jumping uh, equitation course on the horse that they've never ridden before. So it's a lot like the Intercollegiate Horse Show Association, but for middle school and high school. And it's a really, really ever-evolving and growing organization. And um, Jen Eaton sits on our board of directors and she's their marketing person and a membership person. And they're just a really good group and they're going to have an educational component this year. It's going to be at the Alltech Arena at the Kentucky Horse Park in Lexington. And there's going to be stuff for everyone. So whether or not you know someone showing, um, you can still come and be a part of all the education that's taking place. How cool is it that they get to ride in that arena too, where, oh, where the, the wig happens, you know, and... Uh... That's going to be very cool for them. That is a that of course I, w- I was just there, so I I love that arena. There's not a bad seat in that arena either. It's just a really nice, nicely built place. They did build it really nice, and their their new outdoor too that they yeah. don't use as often. But that is also amazing. Well, that'll be used in April for Rolex coming up. That's right. Yep. Good and stuff. You have over fifty clinics on your website right now, so we're getting into clinic season. This is the time to go, yes. And you can look up our clinics either by location or date. And remember, even if you don't feel like you want to be certified yet as an instructor or certified yet as a barn manager, you can still go on there and look for when they're coming up near you and come audit for a day and just sit and see kind of the process and get a little bit of information that way about what to expect. Very good. And then the last item on the agenda before we get to the first guest was a new blog that you have out. Yeah, so we do a blog. Um, we try to do monthly every now and then it ends up being every other month. And the one that's up there now is called Ever Evolving Equine Industry. And it might be fun, especially for those that are listening that are thinking about starting your own business in the horse industry, or you currently have one, or you maybe want to tell your instructor or barn manager or where you board, you know, about this information. But it's in regards to growing our industry and getting more youth involved. And there's three different industries that are doing a great job of this. The first one is uh, the golf industry. They have a really great program called First Tee, where they're basically at certain golf courses around the country, they're giving out free golf clubs and um, to rent for the day. And they're allowing you hmm. free tee time for your youth to be able to go and learn how to golf. And it's for younger kids. I can be between 8 and 12 to kind of get them excited about golfing. So that's one program that's pretty neat. Um, Another one that's really neat is called the Colorado Ski Passport. And I found out about it here in Colorado where I live because my children are in fifth and sixth grade. And it's for fifth and sixth graders. They get to ski for free at certain um, 
resorts around Colorado. They get half price rentals from Christie Sports, and one of their parents gets to ski for free. So all of a sudden, your family of four now only has to pay for one adult ticket and one youth ticket. So it really makes it a lot more affordable to go skiing. So that's been a good program. And then finally, the last one is Young Eagles in Aviation. The um, airline industry has found out that a lot of us like to fly and we're flying more than ever before with all these mileage, credit cards and things that we have. And they're running out of pilots. They just don't have enough. And Glenn, that's a kind of job that you really want to have a little bit of knowledge going in. I wouldn't want my first flight that I'm going on as a passenger to be with a pilot who's never really flown much before or gone to school to fly. So there's yeah, always a this. good idea when the guy knows which button to push. Oh, yeah. Yes. A little bit scary. And then you think about like that gentleman that landed the plane on the Hudson. You remember that years yeah, ago? Yeah. And he was so calm and he's like, they go, well, you, you're going to land at this one airport over here, right? And he goes, no, I'm going to land on the Hudson River. All very calm. And if you listen to the tapes, you're like, wow, that guy was amazing under stress because I would not have answered it. Oh, I'm going to land on the Hudson. I would have answered it. Oh, my God, I landed on the Hudson. (laughs) Well, Jamie's husband just uh, does retiring from being an F-16 fighter pilot after 20-some years. And he applied to all the airlines and got offered four different airline jobs because they really are looking for pilots. Uh, it is a problem right now. They're running short on pilots. And a lot of them are retiring out. A lot of the older pilots are now retiring out, too, which is why there's such an opening. Uh, but you're right. You kind of want some kind of training before you're going to go do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So what this Young Eagles program is, and again, why I'm all into this is because I have kids in this age range, so we've been taking advantage of some of these things. But at certain small airports, not your big ones, but your smaller ones where they have the Cessnas and things like this, the Young Eagles in aviation program is having these um, pilots give free Cessna rides to families that have small oh, children. Cool to get the kids excited about flying. And as you well know, flying on a Cessna is very, very different than flying on a 737. I had a friend who was a pilot, and we used to go up almost every week when I lived oh. in Pennsylvania. And so I know one, I know that the kids handle it one of two ways, because we took a lot of the kids, students up that we had at our barn. Uh, they either get violently ill or they have a ball. It's one of two things with the kids in, yes. a, in a Cessna. <laughs> it's like, always have the puke bags ready. And I think you should ask the kids before they get on, do you like roller coaster rides? Because if you do, you're going to be okay on this. If you don't like roller coaster rides, we might not want to do this today. (laughs) He used to find the brave ones and he used to practice his stalls, uh, which is something you have to learn when you're a pilot. And so they just turn the engine off, basically, Um, practice the stall and then how to restart the engine as you're falling. And uh, so he used to have the, the kids that were really having a good time and hadn't thrown up yet. Then he would practice that to see if they could make it through that second uh, passage, rite of passage into uh, pilothood. And the ones who survived that were about 25% of them that didn't get sick. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm not sure he helped the, the airline industry at all, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> It's fun, though. Well, I just thought for those of your... um, Well, now, how does that correlate to equine? Here Uh, we go. So my correlation is, is that we also have to have more youth, don't we? Yep. So if you can look at some of these programs and see what they're doing at your own barns and say, can I give free lessons? Does that work in my schedule? Can I do something where I do a little like test ride and then get them hooked and then say, oh, guess what? Like through an open house or whatever. Certainly, we've talked about it on this show before, but the whole time to ride idea that American Horse Council is doing with their challenge in the summer. But I think that it's just an opportunity for us to get 
outside of our horse box and look at the other sports and the other industries and see what they're doing to bring youth in and then some of those programs that are working. And the hard part about that is even if you do have the, you know, free ride or or whatever to get people in, it's getting the word out. It's still marketing. And that's where we, yes. you know, that's still the issue for most small businesses, whether they're horse businesses or not, is marketing. How do I get the word out that I even have this program that people that that may be interested in it want to come and see it? Um because let's face yeah. it, you know, very few parents are going, let's get our kids into horses that don't know anything about horses because all they're seeing is expense, right? So, True. Uh, you know, that's, that's the other obstacle that we have to overcome, whereas they can take them to soccer for relatively at the lower levels, you know, inexpensive uh, uh, compared to horses, relatively inexpensive. That's true. And they don't have to feed the soccer ball. Exactly. And, you know, I think that's where... I think that's where uh, where we have a disadvantage, and you're right. We have to get them involved somehow. It's just how to get the word out. I think I agree, and part. so I guess now I'm going to do a little shameless plug for CHA. Um, for those that are certified through us and are uh, members of us, we actually help advertise all of their events that they do on Facebook and in our clinic pages on our website, and so we can help a little bit because we try to share the word in parenting blogs and homeschooling blogs and things like that. But yep, that's that is the key. Marketing is definitely the most one of the most important things. Once you have a good product, you got to get the word out about it. And uh, for the instructors out there, I'm going to throw something new at you. For the instructors in local areas, there are a lot more local podcasts popping up. Like my co-host Helena is now doing one for Newport, Rhode Island, and is going to be doing more of them for the for the New England states. So so there's now statewide and local, very local citywide uh, podcasts popping up. Look for them. Go do searches for podcasts in your area and see if you can get on their shows. So Great idea. it's every kind of marketing that you can do is what you got to do. You got to treat it as a business. It is a business and you have to treat it as one. So you have to look at every kind of marketing you can do. Such a good idea. And I love that, that they can f find ones that are that centralized because you're right. It has to be local grassroots in their area. Because most of your parents are not going to want to drive much further than 20, 30 miles to get to you. And it, so things that are close are great. And of course, you know, there are, there are, have been some in our area, and I've contacted a couple of them to see how it went. There have been some in our area, and this, these got mixed reviews that have been doing Groupon. Um, and it, they, get a, they sell a lot of them, but, and, and they keep about 10 to 20% from what I've gathered. So of the people who come out using a Groupon like at half price for a riding lesson, you know, most of it's just people who want to see a pretty horse and take a ride. Um, but what they, what they tend to do is those Groupons, then they put into group lessons, so they're reducing their, their quote-unquote losses a little bit. Um, and it's about 10 to 20%. And, and uh, the two farms I talked to that were doing that were kind of disappointed in that. And I told them, look, when I was in sales 20 years ago, uh, selling securities or investments or insurance, if we would close one out of every 12 appointments we had, that was a good week. Yeah, you were thrilled. And I'll yeah. tell you, it's the same thing with open rates when you're sending out e-blasts and things. They say if you get anything over 10%, oh my gosh, you are doing amazingly well on your open rate and your click-through rate. So, so yeah, I think people's expectations, you think that, you know, that at least half of the people that come out should want to come back and take lessons with you again. That's just not the law of sales. That's not the law of numbers. Um, and and in, with the law of sales, if you get 20%, you're doing really well. 
So you just have to change your your marketing. You have to change your thoughts about your marketing. And then you have to adjust how you're running your business to make sure that you can afford to to take the time to get those two out of ten. Um, but it's all it's all it's all marketing, right? And uh, but I I can see where barn owners they come up they they haven't had a sales experience yet and they think they can close everybody, right? Uh, and it's just not the way it works. Right, and I'll tell you a lot of your Groupon people—they're in for the experience. Yep. They want to experience everything on Groupon, so they want to do rock climbing one weekend, right. horseback riding the next. You I'm, know, whatever I'm a little next. guilty of that, right? Yep. But that doesn't mean they're not going to come back later, or that they have a niece or nephew that says, "I want to start taking riding lessons," and they say, "Well, I went to this place." Sure. That remember my favorite saying. Mouth. My favorite saying in business is, "It's not who you know; it's who knows you." So yes. that's more and more people who know you. And that doesn't hurt. So you may Very not true. see an immediate result from it, but you might see a great big result a year, two, or three years from now. Yep, you never know. Just don't sell too many Groupons and not be able to service people. Well, We've had the some other of thing. those problems that's, too. Yeah, that's the other thing yeah. that's happened. Uh, you know, it's still a business. You still have to figure out all the business stuff. Uh, yes, to make it work. <laughs> Speaking of a business, there's one lady that knows how to do that very well. Miss Julie Goodnight thought you were going to miss my great cue there. I got it. I was <laughs> on it. So our first guest today is Julie Goodnight. And Julie, it's such a pleasure to have you on. I have known Julie for quite a few years. We met on the American Youth Horse Council board many years ago. And Julie has been involved with Certified Horsemanship Association as our international spokesperson now for quite a while. Um, And she's also a clinician for us and certifies some of our instructors when she has time. And Julie, of course, most of you know her as the horse master on RFD-TV. Hi, Julie. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. Thanks, Christy. It's good to be here again with both of you. It is so good to have you on the show today. And we've had a lot of people very excited about the topic today on social media. They've been asking about this lengthening and shortening of strides. But before we dive in, um, is there anything you'd like to add since we've um, had you on the show last in regards to your travels? Anything exciting you want to share in your business? Things like that. Well, I'm I'm still traveling at the same rate I've been for the um, last few years, and I think I've got a decade or so of road miles left in me. So, I'm I'm keeping up with that pretty good. I do about oh anywhere from uh, four to six expos a year, and then I do um, a dozen or so horsemanship clinics and special events around the country, and. And I love doing that and, and meeting new horses and helping their people. And um, I've got some new programs going on that I'm really excited about that I've, I've been focusing a lot on lately. And they, these are online programs, educational programs. Um, we, we've we actually had our online um, resource library for a couple of years now, and that's uh, been very popular. Every uh, episode of Horse Master we've ever filmed, which is over 200 now, plus um, uh, lots of other training videos and then articles and audio podcasts are all available online, searchable by topic. So that's popular, but recently we just started our interactive program, an interactive level of membership where you sign up and you complete a profile 
and we give you a curriculum every month, a set of exercises, and you get coaching and help and feedback along the way. And that's been really fun for me because we get to know each other online and, and uh, I get to make suggestions. You go back and do them and then report back on how that went. And so that's been really popular, and that's our newest focus around here, our interactive membership. So fun, the virtual coaching idea. I love that. And so many more people now are utilizing, you know, online things to be able to help them out and get more educated and better at what they do. So that's a great idea. Sure. I actually have quite a few riding instructors from CHA that are doing it to help um, give them new things to do in their lessons. They do the exercises themselves first, and then that uh, becomes something that's part of their bag of tricks for teaching. And and then also there's a lot of people that are members that live in areas where they cannot get professional help. There's not a lot of trainers, not a lot of instructors. Uh, they can't transport their horse or whatever. Uh, so it gives them access to, to training and resources um, through, you know, coaching and videos and all of that. That makes sense because there are a lot of people that are very remote. And by the time you put the horse in the trailer and go somewhere, by the time you pay mileage for someone to come to you, it can get pretty crazy. Yeah, you bet. I just want to know how many miles Julie has on her truck. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Actually, you're going to get a kick out of this. I have a, um, I have, my baby is a one-ton dually. Uh, it's a Ford truck and, um, it's a 2012, but it only has 5,000 miles on it. And, um, now if you want to start talking about airline miles, I'll probably (laughs) beat out anyone in the conversation, but I only drive my truck to haul my horses. Well, don't tell the IRS, but I might occasionally haul my boat too, but, um, (laughs) so I've got this truck that's not, you know, it's hardly, it's hardly out of brand new condition and, and it's, uh, four years old. So (laughs) I'm I'm hoping I'm going to have it paid off before I have 10,000 miles on it. (laughs) I love it. You can't hardly say that anymore about a truck. That's for darn sure. (laughs) Well, you know, it will be good to go ahead today and talk about um, our topic on lengthening and shortening of strides because talk about a lot of exercises that people can do at all three gates and kind of at any level, whether they're really brand new, um, whether they have a brand new horse or whether they're really experienced or whether their horse is, you know, there's so much. So, Julie, let's dive right in. What is your definition of lengthening and shortening of strides? Well, to me, generally, when when we use those terms, lengthening and shortening, we're, we're primarily referring to the distance that the horse travels, the length of the stride. Um, it is applicable in every situation of riding, and, and at the very least, um, it is uh, an important stage in having complete control of the horse. So your ability to lengthen and shorten the stride as needed um, implies that you have um, complete and 100% obedience of the horse. But, uh, you know, when I think of lengthening and shortening, it, first of all, it, it is closely related to collection and extension. Um, but when we use the term lengthening and shortening, usually we're, we're referring to distance. And um, so... 
when, um, for instance, the horse might be approaching a jump, it's it, and it's important or critical sometimes that the horse takes off at a very precise point. As I'm approaching that that jump, I need to be able to judge the distance and know that in order for my horse horse's front feet to land right at that spot I want, I need to either shorten or lengthen his stride four or five strides out so that I land his front feet right on a specific piece of dirt. So, um, you know, that could be a trail obstacle. That could be, um, you know, almost anything you can think of. Almost every, almost every discipline or, uh, excuse me, almost every competition from reining to dressage to uh, ranch riding or pleasure uh, there's going to be a point where the judge calls for either a lengthening or a shortening of stride, but a, a change, a transition within a gate, and they want to see a noticeable change in the length of the horse's stride, so um, or a shortening of the horse's stride. So that's what it means to me. Now, if you're referring, if you're using the terms in refer in reference to the frame of the horse which is the outline that you see from profile, a relaxed horse is in a long and low frame, a lengthened frame, and a super collected horse is in a shortened frame. And in a long frame, a horse covers more ground in the stride of any gait. And in a shortened frame, he has more vertical motion to the stride and a shorter distance. So to me, that's what all, you know, that's sort of all of the above of what lengthening and shortening implies. No, and I really appreciate that because you kind of then get a visual image of it's more than just making the stride faster or slower. And I think that that is very much confused a lot, is that people automatically assume that when you shorten, it's always going to be slower. And when you lengthen, it's always going to be longer. And same thing with those words that you threw out of extension and collection. And that's not necessarily the case of faster and slower. Right. Well, the actual cadence shouldn't change. And so in lengthening and shortening, um, yes, Speed speed is only a part of it because you're covering more distance <laughs> in the same stride. So, um, you know, that definitely um, you know, means you're moving faster, but that's, that's not uh, really the objective. So do you think before people start working on some of these things under saddle, should they be doing some things on the ground with their horse first? And if so, what do you think might help them? Well... Uh, Almost everything in training under saddle is easier to accomplish if you address it on the ground first. And and this would be no different. And you could, in, pretty much in every groundwork that I would do, I could work on this and do work on it. Um, so for uh, even in, in the round pen, it's one of... Um, I have a video that shows the five steps you need to accomplish in the round pen. And, um, you know, that's like the second or third step is being able to control the horse's speed and lengthen and shorten his stride. And, and when you do that, you're lengthening and shortening his stride. 
Um, and so in lead line work, uh, as soon as, it's one of the very first things we do in teaching the horse to lead properly and obediently is to match your step in terms of the length of the stride. And so I do a lot of lengthening and shortening and speeding up and slowing down as I'm walking and trotting so that the horse learns to match his pace off of mine. Um, And then something I'm doing with my number one horse right now, I'm rehabbing him from an injury, a back injury, and um, having him trot over cavalettis and um, and canter over poles and stuff like that. Um, and in doing that from the ground on the lunge line, I'm having to constantly shorten and lengthen his stride so that he's lined up properly on the poles. So there's a lot of stuff. Almost everything that you do in groundwork, you could be working on that. Absolutely. And I love that you put that you can also use ground poles and things while you're lunging the horse or round pinning the horse. I think people forget about that. And that's that's really good because that's a great way to be able to, like you said, either rehab the horse or build up muscle strength or do whatever you're trying to do with them. You bet. So in regards now to moving up into the saddle, um, Knowing that we have listeners from all levels, just beginning and mainly just wanting to do walk stuff, some trot jog and some canter and lope, what are some different exercises that you have found have really been successful for you with the um, students and the horses that you work with in regards to lengthening and shortening? Sure. Well, again, this, this is, I, these are exercises I do in almost every clinic that I teach. Um, and, and in the under saddle portion of the clinic and, and, you know, the stuff I just mentioned in the groundwork we do in my clinics as well. Um, by the way, shameless plug, you can find out about my clinics at juliegoodnight.com slash clinics. But, uh, anyway, at the walk, what I like to have people do is just walking around, um, you know, in the arena or wherever you ride on a loose rein to work on your vertical position. Make sure you're sitting uh, very vertical, ear, shoulder, hip, and heel alignment, very relaxed, and make sure your your hips are very open and you're sitting back on your pockets so that you can feel the right-left movement of the horse. Uh, pretty much anyone that sits on a horse in correct position will be able to feel the right-left movement in your hips, which correlate with the movement of the hips and hind legs of the horse. And so once they can feel that right-left movement, then what I have them do is increase their energy in to, first of all, feel the rhythm all the way down to their legs. So you'll feel a right-left closing of your legs. And then you increase the, the energy and rhythm of your seat and legs into what we call a driving seat and feel the horse lengthen his stride. Um, Pretty much any horse will lengthen their stride when the rider um, first moves in rhythm with the horse and then starts a driving rhythm and adding more push with the seat and more alternating leg contact right-left. The horse is going to extend the walk. And then, as a really good part of this exercise, then you shift to the opposite, a resisting seat, you sit back a little bit, you resist that rhythm, you resist the movement 
of the walk and see if you can cause the horse to shorten his stride or stop. And almost all horses, with some horses instantaneously respond to this um, because the rider, they're used to a rider that uses their seat. Um, but all horses will figure out right away to start listening to the rhythm of the horse's seat. And so that's an exercise just at the walk where you're basically working on lengthening and shortening his stride from strictly the rhythm of your seat and legs. And I love that, Julie, because we always talk about four natural aids and we always talk about seat legs, hands and voice and how important the seat and the weight of the rider and how it's connected to our spine and to our head. I mean, how key that is. So the fact that we do this using our seat and then our legs is wonderful. Well, this is a really important exercise, even though it's only at the walk, because it teaches the horse to listen to the rider. It teaches the rider that she can control the speed of the horse with her seat and legs um, and is not so reliant on the hands. So the horse benefits in that way, too. And it's really important for um, further on in your riding, when you do start working on collection and lateral movements, um, and even the higher level lengthening and shortening, it's important that the rider understands the timing of the leg aids and the, t- and the proper timing of your leg aids is always in timing with what your hips are doing, which is in timing with what your horse's hips are doing. So, Julie, before we move on to um, trot and canter exercises, you know, Glenn drives. So, of course, he doesn't have his legs, but he can still use his core to go ahead and shorten up the horse because as he strengthens up his belly muscles and all that. Yes. You want to talk about driving just a little bit? Well, sure. So, it it, it relates to the rhythm of the horse's movement, not not the rider's. So, um, so absolutely, the same thing exists, and this is why it's really important in proper um, driving position that you're sitting the same way. You're sitting nice and vertical in your spine, and you're nice and tall, and you have a connection um, uh, of your arms to your torso, and you can take a feel of the horse uh, through your hands because um, that's the only connection you have. It's just that when you're sitting on the horse, if you can't feel it, then you're really in trouble because it's like, you know, you're, it's, it's almost like sitting on an elephant or something and not being able to feel and move. So uh, when you're driving, certainly you have to, the, the rhythm of the horse is the same. The way in which you use your aids is the same because um, I was talking about the leg aids of the rider, but later on when we talk about collection and adding the resistance of the hands, uh, you still have to use the same timing as you would the leg aid. So when your right leg closes on the horse, your right hand closes on the reins. So um, it's really the same with driving because it's all about the motion of the horse. And, you know, we have an advantage driving, actually, in that we can see the entire horse. Um Absolutely. Yes. So we actually see the entire horse. You can't always, depending on the carriage and the way your cart or whatever, you can always see their legs necessarily, but you can certainly see how they're moving. And the other thing, too, is if you're in a two-wheel cart, uh, you really have to be careful how you sit because how you sit moves those shafts up and down and really does affect the horse. So, uh, you know, so you really have to be careful whether you're leaning back or whether you're sitting upright or and what you're trying to do at the time. 
it's it's all something you have to think about when you're driving that you don't necessarily have to think about uh, when you're riding. So there is a little bit of both, uh, you know, a little bit of both on each side that you have that are that's different but important. Yeah, and the the bottom line is position matters no matter what you do, and and um, yeah, you're absolutely right. So moving on then, Julie, if we're going to start doing stuff at the trot and the jog and the lope and the canter, what are some specific exercises that you like for lengthening and shortening of strides within those gates? Sure. Well, you know, I I almost always practice lengthening and shortening at the same time because um, one sort of implies the other. You can't stay lengthened forever. And so... Uh, it's an upward and a downward transition, and so it makes sense to practice them together. So at the trot, my favorite exercise is um, just going from, uh, if you're riding in an arena or a rectangular or oval space, um, then what I like to do is lengthen on the long side and shorten on the short side. And so as you're going around the arena, um, as you approach the short side of the arena and you start bringing your horse into the bend um, that that he's going to be required as he comes around the corner into the short side of the arena is when I transition into the collected sitting trot. Um, so I'll ride the entire short side of the arena in an arcing turn around um, at a collected sitting trot. As I come out of the arc and start down the long side of the arena, I move up into the extended trot posting, and I see just absolutely how long can I get that trot before my horse thinks he has to canter. And that takes quite a bit of practice for you and your horse to come together on that. Um, And so I'm going to have to go around and around and around the arena and practice this over days and weeks, not, you know, five minutes. Uh, of going to collected sitting trot on the short side, extended trot on the long side, and gradually you and your horse will come together on an understanding that what you're asking for is for him to lengthen the trot as much as he is capable. And it's your job as the rider to learn what your horse's capabilities are. And so when he breaks into the canter, either there's a communication error or you're asking too much of him. And so it's up. It's the job of the rider to either clarify the communication or only ask as much of your horse as he's capable. So after some repetition on both the collection and the extension, you you should be making pretty good progress on um, you know how extended can your horse get at the trot, and um, how well does your horse collect. Uh, into the slow sitting trot. I like to use the bending as a part of my collection process, um, as a part of the transition downward um, into the collected sitting trot. Um, so that's my favorite trot exercise. And that is a really good one. Um, that's really good. You could even do it technically, I guess, at the walk, right? You could extend the walk down the long slide sure. and shorten the walk on the short side. So that's super. Yeah, that sure. is, that's a good one. Yeah, you might want to do do a smaller space at the walk, like do a serpentine, um, you know, through your arena. So um, it, it's it's easier to drive the horse into collection through bending, especially at the walk. So, um, you know, 
impulsion really helps collection. So it can be a challenge, more of a challenge at a walk sometimes to work on collection. Uh, it's easy to ask too much, so let's put it that way, because, uh, you know, your horse will just start getting frustrated because you're asking him to go and stop. So with the added impulsion of the trot, um, it, it's sometimes a little easier to get that collection and the extension. So I'll tell you, I love canter and my horse, I have this, um, horse who has moments and you've met him before, Julie, and he actually does sometimes the epitome of, uh, shortening and collection at canter where he canters in place. Unfortunately, it's not always when I'm asking him. Sometimes it's when he's just frustrated <laughs> and having a day, but I'll tell you, well, when you, you know have that capabilities. Oh, his capabilities are very good. Yes, sir. Yes, 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 they are. He is, he is very, very good. But um, I'll tell you, that's so much fun when you actually ride an upper level horse that can canter in place. Talk about the epitome of shortening. So I would love to talk now about some cantering um, exercises for lengthening and shortening. Sure. Well, collection at the counter, that extreme collection, and when you're doing things like pirouettes, um, that requires an incredible amount of athleticism and exertion for the horse to carry a rider in that. Um, and so it's, of course, uh, that uh, is something I'm working on, um, actually with both my horses. Um, and um, so, you know, we there's all kinds of very advanced exercises um, from cantering squares where you're sort of working up to the quarter turn pirouette um, instead of countering a circle. Uh, so that's a straight line and then a, a, a quarter turn. Um, but collection at the canter, um, you know, I, one of the best way, well, we're not really talking about collection. We're talking about lengthening and shortening. And um, so I like to work on that first and foremost out um, either in a very large arena or in a better yet in an open field or a riding area or even a racetrack kind of um, riding area where, and I say that because um, this is going to imply galloping. So we're going to go from extended counter to collected counter to extended counter um, or hand gallop to, to canter to hand gallop. Um, it's a lot more fun for the horse when there's a lot of room around them. It, it, trying this in a smaller arena is, um, it's not going to be pleasant for your horse because he, he has a hard time thinking of lengthening when he knows the end of the arena is, you know, just five or six strides ahead of him. Um, so, uh, riding out in an open area or a very, very large arena, um, kind of keeping in mind the same exercise that I just talked about at the trot. Um, I would just work on, you know, going to the extended canter or the hand gallop and then back to a canter and then to a slow, and then I might bring my horse onto a small, slow, collected canter circle, um, and then go back to a canter on the straight line, extended canter, um, back to canter, and then a small collected circle, uh, at the collected canter. So, um, and the reason why I throw the circle in there is I bring the horse all the way back to a, a, a small, slow circle. Um, 
is because when you bring the horse on the bend, um, it's a little it's a little easier for him to um, support the weight of the rider and balance the weight of the rider without you pulling on his mouth so much. So as you bring the horse into the circle uh, and into the bend, you should be able to allow him to come off of the contact a little bit. So in other words, if I if I'm doing the extended canter back to canter and then all the way to a very short, strided, collected canter. I'm doing a lot of pulling on my horse's mouth to contain the front end, whereas I, I bring him on this small circle and arc him, I can put a, almost a little slack in the reins and he'll, he'll, he'll still hold that collection um, without me pulling on his mouth so much. So, so it gets my horse to carry himself a little bit better in collection. That's a very good point. And especially as we're learning to do this, to be able to provide that bend and that arc so that we're not in our horse's face as much. I love that. So Julie, in the closing today, is there anything in particular about this topic that you kind of want to share as an overarching message? Well, you know, yeah, you know, I, I guess I talk so much in my teaching about obedience and um, to some, obedience might have a negative connotation, um, but there there is nothing more beautiful than a horse and rider working together um, to perform, um, well, anything, any kind of athletic uh, performance or maneuver. And um, to do that, the horse has to be 100% obedient to the age. And so basic obedience, we talk about, do you have control over the horse's speed and direction? And and I tell you, for many people, they don't. They might some of the time, but they don't all of the time. And um, but way beyond that is total body control and being being able to um, you know have a hundred percent control of the horse from the tip of his nose to the tip of his tail. And uh, so that's what these kinds of exercises give you uh, far beyond just the mechanics of being able to jump correctly or or complete an obstacle or maneuver correctly. Um, it, it does have a lot to do with that ultimate um, you and your horse riding together as one because you have 100% obedience to your aids. Absolutely, Julie. And thank you so much for being on today to talk about this really important topic. I think no matter where somebody is on their journey, it is such a wonderful um, thing to start doing with your horse to create a better partnership. So we really appreciate having you on. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Julie. JulieGoodnight.com is where you can find all of the information and all the clinic dates and everything she was talking about training-wise. What's well, always fun having Julie on the show and I think she has been doing her TV show, what seems like forever. Yes. What did she say? 200 episodes I now know. that she has? Wow. It's like a forever. For a TV show, that's a long time. <laughs> that's pretty impressive. She's yeah. up there with ER and MASH. MASH. Some of yeah, those exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of MASH right away because I think that was one of the longest ones I ever remember. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So good for her. She deserves it too. She's super sweet. Well, we're going to be back right after this song with more of our training episode from the Certified Horsemanship Association in just a minute. Striking out on your own 
You're listening to Horses in the Morning, and this is the Certified Horsemanship Association episode. I know it's the wrong day of the month, but we had to change it this this month. Uh, we had to make it uh, the last Tuesday of the month because because Christy was traveling. When it was and supposed there's to five before. Tuesdays. We wanted right. to do something special on the fifth That's Tuesday. That's right. We don't get to do that but twice a year. So thank you so much for doing that. What is the website for the Certified Horsemanship Association? It is CHA Instructors with an S dot com. CHA Instructors dot com. As she said, there's 50 clinics up there right now. If you want to see if there's one in your area, you can just go to that website and find that. All right, we're talking about uh, we're talking about shortening and lengthening today. So let's continue that conversation with our next guest. 
Yes, I'm so excited, Glenn, to introduce Joanne Young. Um, Joanne Young is the equestrian director and runs the Houghton College Equestrian Program in Houghton, New York, which is in Western New York. She has been a member of CHA and a master instructor and a clinician for us for a long time. And she also comes to our international conference every year as a speaker. And for those of you that have never come to our conference, you would want to do that this October in Nashville to be able to see oh, Joanne in action. my favorite place is Nashville. Yes, we would love it. We're going to be at MTSU, Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro. Now, wait, I'm supposed to be coming to that, aren't I? It would be great if you could, if not this year, next year for our 50th anniversary in Lexington, Kentucky. Oh, both those places better. are fun. I like Nashville. That was one of the best favorite places I ever visited. Well, we would love you and Jen at either one, and you can host your show live. That yeah, would that'd be, be fun. Great. Yeah, that would be great. Something to think about. So Joanne is with us today, and Joanne, we're going to go ahead and talk about lengthening and collecting, but before we dive in, is there anything that you would like to uh, tell everyone about what's going on at Houghton, what's going on with you personally, how is everything up there in West Now, wait a minute. The snow is starting to melt in New York ah, at this point. That's right. It, by the middle of April, it should all be gone. Actually, we've had a roller coaster winter where... Just about every month we've had really frigid days and days up in the 60s and 70s. So you get to go through the entire year's wardrobe weekly. <laughs> it's like a big tease. <laughs> yes, and that's why we blanket our horses so that in days when it warms up, we can take the blankets off and they won't sweat like crazy. <laughs> they have their it does have its challenges. <laughs> But I so am glad that our indoor arena has heaters and it's insulated, so we we can run them or not, depending on what the weather is for what season we have on any particular day. Oh, you are very spoiled. I'm here in Colorado with only an outdoor arena, so yes, you are definitely able to do more than I can, which is a good thing. I do remember the first pack and trail clinic that we did with CHA was south of Estes Park by about 20 miles. And we started out at a base camp of about 8,000 feet. The highest point we camped at was 10,000 feet. It was in June, and we pitched our tents on snowdrifts. Oh. And I can remember, we have more humidity in western New York than you have in Colorado. I remember Dan Arnold, who was one of our clinic instructors at the time, saying, oh, it's a shame it's so hazy today. You can't quite see Denver from here 200 miles away. I'm going... We're lucky if we can see 15 miles away with the humidity. What is he talking about? Haze. I don't see any. It is. It's so different. And that's crazy that June you were on a snow drift. But, yeah, that's true, especially when you get up high. Yep. Sometimes it but never you know, melts at all. One of the sweet things about CHA is you get to meet fantastic horse people from all over the nation. And because of the way you guys rotate where the conference is located from year to year, you get to meet people from all over the place and see wonderful different facilities all over the nation. Yes, and I agree with that. I love that because then you can go back and if there's something you can utilize at your own program, you can and go, gosh, I never thought about that before. That's a great idea. It is, it is fun to be able to do that. So, Joanne, thanks for being on the show today. We're going to talk a little bit about lengthening and collecting of strides today, um, or lengthening and shortening, I should say. So, could you go ahead and tell us your definition of those and why you find it important to be able to teach those skills? Okay, well, you know, because you've been around me before, that I come at Hunt Seat and Western writing from a foundation of classical dressage principles. 
So I was so glad that you caught that little slip of the tongue there and changed <laughs> it to shortening. And lengthening of shortening of strides begins to happen in first-level dressage, but we start actually training horses right from the get-go to regulate their gait, and it's part of that. It also lays the foundation for collection and extension later on. But I find that being able to lengthen and shorten horses' stride is not only an important skill for the rider to begin to feel what's actually going on underneath them and to develop skills to influence it subtly, it also gymnastically develops the horse's body. So when you shorten stride and lengthen stride, they're actually opposite ends of the same pendulum swing. I think one of the foundational principles that is very important that people first learning how to do it tend to kind of misunderstand or miss is that you're changing how long a step the horse takes. You are not changing the rhythm and the tempo at which the horse moves. Very true. And And it's real easy when people start thinking about lengthening to just push harder with their aids and make the horse go faster. So he kicks on the forehand, he takes more steps per minute, but he hasn't actually changed the length of stride. So that's probably one of the hardest things then you think for your students to comprehend about lengthening and shortening is the faster and slower concept? Yes. That you, the faster and slower is not part of it. It's the longer and shorter. And going faster usually does not lengthen the stride. It throws the horse off balance onto the forehand and you just don't get what you're looking for. Absolutely. So with that in mind, what are, let's just dive right into the meat of this. What are some exercises that you like to teach um, horse rider combinations in order to have success in both lengthening and shortening? And you can divide those out, Joanne, by gate if you want, or do it however you feel would be best for our listeners. Oh, I do want to divide it out by gate because the physical skills you need vary within the different gates in order to achieve it. Um, starting out with the walk, of course, because that's safest when people are first learning it and it slows things down a little bit so they have more time to feel and analyze and understand what's going on. I actually just taught a pair of identical twins yesterday who are 11 years old and it was their first real formal riding lesson, although they grew up in Colorado and had ridden their whole lives. And so we worked on lengthening and shortening stride with, they have a large pony, small horse size, quarter horse, he's about 14.1. And first, I would have the rider at the walk focus on feeling the swing of the horse's back muscles under their seat through the saddle. If it's someone that is visually distracted and has trouble feeling when they have their eyes open, then I would have an assistant or myself lead the horse so they could close their eyes and just focus in on that. And pretty soon they can realize basically doing a butt walk where the horse's back muscles on one side lifts their hip, pushes it down and forward, then draws it uh, back and up again to start the next stroke. And just like when we walk, first one hip and then the other goes forward and back. Then I have them focus on just feeling and relaxing and allowing the horse to manipulate their hips. Once they can feel that, then I'll ask them, At the end of the stride, when the horse stops pushing your hip forward, just before he starts drawing it back, you purposely move your own hip 
an extra quarter inch further forward. And the same thing with the other hip. It's real fun if you've got a parent or sibling or friend standing nearby because they can see the change. And a quarter inch movement in the rider's hip adds about four to six inches to the length of the horse's stride. I love that detail. And I love you coach that detail. That's so great. Yes. Then when they've got that down, it may be the same lesson. It may be several lessons later, depending on how fast they can pick up on feel and whether they're a detail-oriented person that wants more, more, and more, or whether they need several days to digest mentally and physically what they've been working on. But the next exercise is to make sure their leg is draped softly down the horse's side. So if they're in jumping length stirrups, I'm going to have them push their hand on top of their thigh, just above their kneecap, and push their knee down because I don't want them to push their heel down. That usually jams the foot out in front of them and makes tension in the joints. I want the drape. If they're in a Western saddle or a dressage saddle, I probably have them take their feet out of the stirrups and do rotating circles with their toes to get their ankles relaxed and then gently pick their stirrups back up so their legs are of nice, long, draped feel. And then, again, feel for the fact that when a horse's hind leg comes forward, comes into the area usually occupied by the rib cage, so it will tend to squidge the ribs in away from the rider's leg. When the hind leg is extended out behind the horse, then the rib cage is going to swing out against the rider's leg. So the ribs basically gently move back and forth between the rider's legs at a walk, kind of like the pendulum or the wind catcher on a wind chime will gently move in a light breeze. Not enough to really ring the bells and the chimes, but you can feel it. You can see it. So when they feel that, I have them concentrate on following the horse's rib cage. So let the ribs push their leg out, let their leg drape, and follow the ribs in. Then we add to that. Now we've got the walking hips, and we're going to extend the stride by letting each hip bone go a quarter inch further forward than where the horse pushes it. And then as the ribs come out, they're going to give a little gentle granny hug with their calf where it starts to turn to curving towards their shin bone so that I don't get them turning knees and toes out and pinching butt cheeks, which locks his hips. And I would compare that to if any of them have ever had to sue the baby that's fussy and rub its back or they felt sad and somebody gives them a gentle hug to comfort them, that's the kind of feel I want in their calf. And that also, you have to do it when the rib comes all the way out, as far out as it's going to push against your calf. That's the moment when the hind leg is extended the furthest out behind the horse, ready to go airborne. That's the only moment in the stride that you can influence the power, the direction, or the length of the stride. So as the rib comes all the way out, you apply the little gentle granny hug. As your hip gets pushed forward, your leg comes in on the same side, and the horse will increase the length of stride even more. Depending on the suppleness of the horse and the swing in its back, you could increase the stride beyond what you're already getting with your hip by anywhere from another 2 to 12 inches, depending on the size of the horse and its body build. And I love all your visuals, Joanne, those visuals to be able to say like the soft, gentle hug or the patting on the back um, with a baby or whatever, those really help to be able to understand how much pressure to use. Well, I will tell you, having taught people from lots of different backgrounds, 
It really helps if you can get to know your students so you know what other areas of their life you can draw illustrations from that will make them have an aha moment. For instance, the two little girls I was teaching yesterday, they grew up in Colorado. They were avid skiers. Trying to teach them about center of gravity, I would say, well, do you downhill ski? Faces lit up like somebody plugged in the Christmas tree lights. Yes. I said, what happens if your feet are underneath you and your knees and your hips are gently bent? Well, you can ski really well. What happens if your skis and your feet get out in front of you? Ooh, sits mark. What happens if your shoulders get ahead of your feet? Face plant in the snow. <laughs> what do you have to do if you're skiing moguls? You have to have more bend in your knee and your ankle to absorb that as the ground lifts and, rise and drops underneath you. Same thing when you're jumping. So if I pull something in that they already are familiar with and understand, then the writing concepts make a lot more sense a lot more quickly. I think that's very, very true. So those are great visuals and exercises for walk. Um, how do you know when someone's ready then to start applying them at the trot and jog? And what would those look like? Um, well, obviously, you want to have a fairly balanced rider that already can walk, trot, and canter before you start throwing more advanced concepts at them in the trot and the canter or the jog and the lope, simply because if they're still struggling to keep their own balance, they haven't got extra attention that they can give on technicalities like that. They're still in survival mode. So we need to make sure that they can sit the jog comfortably and post the jog, sit the trot comfortably on an English horse and post in rhythm with the horse before I start adding lengthening and shortening. And it can be done either in rising or posting trot or in sitting. But one of the things that you have to keep in mind, again, is the only moment you can influence the lengthening of a stride of a horse is with your body is at that moment of strike-off. When the hind leg is extended as far behind it as it's going to be, and it's starting to pick up the heel and push with the toe to bring that foot forward. Okay? So... Let's talk posting trot first, just because that really divides it into, if you're on the correct diagonal, your seat is going to touch the saddle just in time for that inside hind leg to boost you up again, and that's the mean hind leg you want to influence, because, of course, when a horse goes around a circle or through a corner, you want the hind leg on the inside of the turn, the furthest up underneath the body to support and balance not only the horse, but the weight of the rider on him at the same time. Same reason when you ride a bicycle around a corner, especially if there's gravel on the pavement, you want the pedal on the inside of the turn to be the one that's down with your weight on it, not the one on the outside of the turn. Unless, of course, you really do want to do a wipeout and go home with gravel embedded in your knees. <laughs> no, thank you. Now, <laughs> me neither. <laughs> I had a few of those back in the days when I was learning how to ride a bike. I'd rather not recall them. <laughs> okay, so... If I'm doing rising trot and I want to help the horse lengthen his stride, on the downstroke of the post, this is assuming I'm on the correct lead, I am going to drop my knees and heels and close both calves on the horse gently and at the same time put a tiny little vibration on the outside rein. If I'm riding western and I'm posting, and if I'm not neck reining, I've got both reins in one hand, I'm hoping they're split reins because then I can use my ring finger or my middle finger on the outside rein 
if I'm tracking to the right, I'm assuming I'm holding the reins in the right hand, and my index finger on the left rein if I'm tracking right so that I can use the outside rein. Did I say that correctly, or is this going to be a rerun? <laughs> Sometimes dyslexic tongue strikes when I get going fast. <laughs> But whatever direction I'm going, I want the rein on the outside of the turn to be the one that's going to have a very slight tickle in it from a very soft vibration of my finger, almost like a violinist tremolo. So in effect, when I close my calf as my feet touches the saddle, I put that little vibration. That vibration captures the energy from the hind leg and gives it back to the hind leg again so it'll be ready for the next stride. It's like a recycling plan. And in today's green eco-conscious system, that applies to horses, too, and not just their food. Absolutely. Um, Now, if we do that, then we can help the horse push off with more power and go further through the air with his feet before he sets those feet down again. If I want to shorten the stride as I post down, I'm going to drop my heels a little deeper and in addition I'm going to put a very tiny check on both reins and I'm going to contract my core muscles and those would be I'm referring to the ones that run from the bottom of your pant zipper straight across to your hip joint at the very bottom of your belly so if you put your thumb on your belly button and spread the palm of your hand across your belly the edge of your pinky finger would be about level with the muscles that I want the riders to use. And what this does is when you contract your core muscles like that, as you sit down and as you close your legs, it encourages the horse by that slight shift in your pelvic cradle to lift his own withers up to fill that space without making you tilt your pelvis and dig your butt bones down into his back. and It also encourages him to contract his own core muscles so that he brings his hocks further up underneath him and he gets his whole top line rounder, which in effect shortens his stride. Absolutely. And I love that you're talking about core because I think so many times people don't utilize their core well enough in anything we do. I mean, just sitting in a chair, right? Utilizing your core is going to keep you from getting that lower back pain and the hunch in your back and what have you. So utilizing your core when you ride and especially in regards to shortening of stride is a wonderful concept to let people know about. Yes, absolutely. And one of the things that I teach students when they're going to go from shortening to lengthening or when they're first teaching a horse to lengthen is, as I mentioned earlier, it's like opposite ends of the pendulum swing. So as a horse improves in his ability to shorten stride, he also can be improving in his ability to lengthen. And as long as he he continues to loosen up his muscles and increase his ability to lengthen, he also is increasing his ability to flex his joints and articulate all of them and shorten. So when students are working on something like that, I commonly will have them work down the long side. And as they come through the corner, they're going to do the core crunch, drop the heel, close the calf, close the hands, load the hocks. So the horse begins to pick his feet up a little higher and take a little shorter stride. He's moving his feet just a little slower because he's covering less distance, but he's not changing how many beats per minute because 
he's taking a longer time to cover the shorter distance. So he's taking the same amount of time as it took him to cover the longer distance. Does that make sense? It does. And it does, especially because we've been talking about this both with Julie and now with you in regards to it's not necessarily slower or faster, and that there is a difference between lengthening and shortening and extension and collection, and that those things are not all universally the same. Yes. So working on this 10-bone swing idea, you as you come through the corner, you're shortening, 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 and asking for a little more power and a little more power in the hocks. As you come out of the corner, you're going to release with your core. So you think of sending the energy from your belly button up over the tip of the horse's ears, and you release just a little bit with the reins. It's not making the reins longer. It's softening the muscles in your forearm between your wrist and your elbow. And the horse will take that energy and float it forward into longer strides. When horses are first learning this, they can only do a few strides before they lose their balance and they'll start to tip on their forehand and quicken or stall out and quick, quit. So it's like teaching a child in kindergarten gym class how to do somersaults. You don't teach them how to do a fantastic tumbling run in the beginning. You teach them step-by-step how to do one somersault without tipping over sideways. And so you lengthen two, three, four strides, whatever you happen to know that horse is capable of, and then immediately you're going to do the core crunch, drop the heels, outside rein, soft vibration to rebalance the horse back into shortening his stride. And you're going to ask with those aids that you're using for the shorter strides for two or three strides as he regains power and regains balance and then send him forward for another three or four strides to lengthen. So it's like playing the horse's body front to back, kind of like an accordion as you go down the long side. Then you use your corners before you start across the short end of the arena to rebalance and shorten even more. And you push for two or three strides across the middle of the short end and bring them back for the corner. And gradually you'll find over a period of weeks and months, you get horses that have terrifically improved their range of motion for how much longer and how much shorter you can go. There is a spinoff benefit from this. As the horse begins to do this, he begins to get stronger in his own core muscles, which lifts his back to fill your seat, which makes him arch his neck, which makes him bring his face closer to vertical without you pulling on the reins to make it happen. So you achieve self-carriage rather than stiff headset. And with stronger hocks, you've now built a foundation where you can start working towards asking the horse to elevate his shoulders and work on and sit more in his hocks and work on extension and collection. If you're working on reining, you get the horse so he can really work off his hocks and balance himself better for your first out runs and your quick fighting stops, etc. For Western Pleasure, you can do your lengthened jog and not have your horse lean on the bit or invert or run in the jog. For your hunt seat, you can do that lengthening of stride in that hunter hack class and not end up with the horse breaking into a canter because he lost his balance. Of course, for dressage, oh, you're just making a gymnastically better horse. If you're trail riding, again, you've made the muscles, the joints, the ligaments, the tendons all stronger in the whole horse, but especially in the back end, which helps him improve his balance on that uneven terrain. I'm preaching yes. to the choir, aren't I? Because we all no, love riding balance horses. 
Yeah, and lengthening and shortening, you know, that is the beginnings of what then one day becomes extension and collection. And it is just so good to be able to have a horse that can do that. And I loved how you said accordion, that whole accordion idea. So, um, Joanne, in kind of wrapping up, because I think that that exercise that you said can certainly be done, you know, at all three gates. And you obviously start at walk for the feel and you kind of work your way up. Is there anything in particular that you want to mention overall about this concept? Well, we haven't touched on canter cell. Just throw in one word. Please Think do. of an egg. And when you sit the canter or the lope, the horse makes like a reverse circle. Like when you spin a hula hoop, you know, you grab the top and you flip the bottom up and away from you. So it spins towards you while it rolls away from you. That's the kind of motion a horse's back makes in the canter. You sit relaxed in your low back and you allow the horse to push your seat down forward and draw it up and back. Push it down and forward, draw it up and back. If you think when you want to lengthen stride of it being an egg shape and then you lay the egg on its side, so you're letting the horse push your hips forward and you're adding to that to push forward and then you let him bring you up and back. If you want to shorten the stride, the egg shape that you're making with your pelvis, roll the egg up on its small end. So when you go forward, you start using your core muscles to lift up sooner. And you go back less and you come down and forward a shorter distance and up higher with those core muscles. So you basically make an egg shape either laid on its side for lengthening or rolled up on its end for shortening. Again, a really good visual to be able to feel that rolling motion of canner like an egg. I love that. So for those that are listening that want to get to know Joanne better and meet some of her wonderful horses and students, she actually is hosting our CHA Region 5 conference in um, New York in April. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that, Joanne? Sure, I'd love to. We've already got quite a few registrations rolling in, and it is on Friday and Saturday, the 1st and 2nd of April. And no, that is not an April Fool's joke. We're for real, and we'll be delighted to have you come. You can find the registration form. If you go to www.houghton, that's H-O-U-G-H-T-O-N dot E-D-U slash equestrian. And please don't have dyslexic fingers like me and reverse the I and the A in equestrian. Um, as soon as our home web page for the equestrian program opens, you'll see on the left-hand side of the page a little menu. You click on events and the CHA Region 5 conference will be one of the things that pops up. There are five different workshops each day. And they cover all kinds of things that relate to horse health and tax fit and training and teaching um, English and Western. And we are just delighted with the wonderful people we have donating their time to be presenters. And if you look at the registration form online, you will see that this year we set it up to encourage more of the local 4-H kids to come also because you can either sign up and pay for just a workshop or two or just one day or for both days. And I know if you come to both days, lunch in the campus dining hall is in, included in that. And they have terrific buffet lunches. So I always make sure I go down for lunch too. I don't bother to eat at my house those days. Yes, and I've been there. They do. I can vouch for that. It's amazing food. So, and those are open to anyone listening. Um, it's You don't have to be an instructor to attend. As a matter of fact, we would love it if you're not an instructor as well as if you are one um, to come and be a part of that regional conference. So, Joanne, thanks so much for being on the show today and talking about lengthening and shortening of strides. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's an honor to get a chance to chat with you again. 
Well, Glenn, that was great to have jo- Joanne on today. I really do appreciate yeah, it. When she, she and comes I like on. how she explains things because even for me, she makes it very clear, right? So, yes. you know, and if, if it's clear to me, it has to be clear to anybody. <laughs> I don't think you give yourself enough credit, but okay. <laughs> But I do like the egg concept yes. and things like that. So I just want to. She's good for radio because she does those visuals, which is does. hard to do actually when you're when you're talking about a very visual thing. Yes, she's very good about that. Well, I have one more that I hope I can do justice to in regards to all the different types of learners. Um, and I know we're auditory today, but there's one that I was taught years ago, and I love to use with my students, where if you have cones of any kind, whether they're small or large, you set up the cones on the long side of the rail. And then you do, let's say, your regular working walk, trot, canter, it doesn't matter. And you have someone, if you can, on the ground to count how many strides your horse got in between those cones, or you yourself can count them. And you can either glance down at the shoulder and say every time the inside shoulder comes forward, that's one, that's two, that's three. Or if obviously if you're posting, it's easy because every time you sit or rise, you can count a stride. And if you're cantering, you can look at every time the lead leg hits the ground or whatever um, leg you want to feel and you kind of count. So let's just say hypothetically, you have a pretty big arena and you're getting five strides at the regular working walk in between the cones. Then to go ahead and shorten up the stride, you do all the different things that both Julie and Joanne talked about in regards to tightening your core, the outside rein, all those different things that they talked about. And you get the horse to hopefully put one more in or maybe two more in. So now you're going to have maybe six or seven strides in between your cones. And then to lengthen, you again do the, the little things that um, Julie and Joanne were talking about in regards to your seat and relaxing it more and being able to open up your hips more and being able to you know use your alternating legs to increase gait. And then hopefully the horse will get instead of five, which is regular working, only four because now they're going lengthening. So you're going to get, you know, one less. So it's kind of a visual way to do it with some cones um, set up and either having somebody on the ground or yourself. And it can be done at walk, trot, can, or walk, jog, lope. Very good. Well, this has been a very informative show as it is usually with you guys. And if people want to learn more about the CHA, they go to chainstructors.com and you can find an instructor near you, an equine facility near you, or you can also become an instructor or get certified if you already are one, if that's a goal of yours. If you want to learn more about the Horses in the Morning show, go to horsesinthemorning.com. You can listen to the recorded version of this show, not the live yet, but we're working on that. You can listen to the recorded version of this show on our, our app, our phone app at iOS or Android. Just search for Horse Radio Network. It's one of 10 different shows that you'll find on the app. And I wanted to mention that uh, we have had a record number of downloads since Road to the Horse for the app. So if you're new to listening, uh, we thank you for stopping by, and we hope that uh, you enjoy the once-a-month CHA episode that Christy brings to us every month. Tomorrow, Jamie and I will be back with a, with a Wednesday show, so we look forward to seeing you then. Take care, everybody, and see you, Christy. Bye, Glenn. Thank you.